playback. The year is 2007. I'm not much of a gamer, but it's hard to miss the massive behemoth that is Mass Effect. Uh, the gaming community has lost their collective minds over this storytelling and uh, the detail. But in the background, there's also a lot of people talking about the music that closes out the game. Uh, the track M4 Part 2 by Fonts. Now, seven years prior to this, I'm in the basement of a house in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I'm talking with three brothers about vintage synths. I'd like to introduce my guest today, Tim Backke. Welcome to Q Playback, Tim. And one thanks for of the members of Fonts. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. So, Tim, we met a long time ago now, and um, my first memories of us meeting were really just um, the the three of you loved vintage synthesizers, and mm -hmm. we were trying to talk shop about those. Um, I think I was trying to push more into the digital, and um, uh, maybe there was some you know, we were trying to convince each other about the um, the benefits of of each. Um, but what do you remember about that that first meeting and where do you think you were at musically at that point? Yeah, around that time, I guess, um, I think it was actually probably nice to talk to you. Just like, it, it's like even now, most of my friends or almost all my good friends are either musicians or just like really into, like they make music for fun or, um, so even just having that in common with you is like, mm. we have some common meeting ground, right? I feel like I can connect with people who are, uh musicians so yeah um that was actually an interesting time too like i don't know if you've had this before but it's like it was a time when i felt like everything was fresh and new you know like yeah yeah we were just kind of the internet was just starting up but it felt like we were working at a record store but around that time and so like just experiencing a bunch of new music um yeah just yeah our eyes were opened up to a whole lot of new things at that point which is really really cool um yeah, so I think just connecting with you at that time was like uh, like we have a lot of close uh, people from that that time in our life. Interesting, you know, like we kind of made those connections, really strong connections, because mm. we had that musical connection. So, um, yeah, and and like with yeah. that, sort of going into the idea of the scene, I think when you do make those connections early on, like there's a lot of people that um, I might not see very often anymore, but because we connected on music, it's really easy to just pick up those relationships if you meet up at a show again or something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have that in common for sure, yeah. Um, and so as Fawns, um, there was the, um, the three Backy boys, is that right? Yeah. So yeah. yourself, uh, Rob and Steve also. Right. And who were the others that were sort of the consistent members well, Steve and I, Steve and I started up with our friend uh, Paul Arnish yep. back in the early days, and so the three of us made the first record uh, as just us. This, and then M4, as you mentioned there, we actually included our friend uh, Joel Hitchcock on synthesizers, and then we had our younger brother Rob join us and Scott Gallant um, join us after that. Yeah, that was for the last, I guess, our last full-length record, which was uh, Feel Love thinking of back in 2009 so yeah so the first release was in 2005 um high expectations low results excellent self-deprecating title 
<laughs> love it. Of course, yeah. Um, and for me, like going back through that, um, oh, like almost 20 years later, 18 years later, um, I feel like I can pick out influences such as uh, Sigur Ross, a little bit of Bell and Sebastian, maybe some Stereo Lab, and a bit of Godspeed. How, how would those? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I was just thinking about this recently too. How like um, that first record in particular, we kind of wore our uh, influences on our sleeve. I think a little bit. Like I could go through track by track and say, oh, hey, this one is just as you mentioned, right? Uh, just, there's some air in there, or Granddaddy, or yeah. but all all that you mentioned too. So like I think you're you're right on there. So I guess our goal was over time to kind of uh, maybe hide those influences a little more, mm. right? We were, like I said, there's just a, it was a, a time we were so excited about all these new things we'd found. And so we wanted to, um, we were just influenced by those things heavily, right? And so, you know, we still have those, like I t Steve and I talk about like these, these catalogs in our, in our minds of like, we have these things filed away for future songs, like all oh, the drums on this track or this yeah. kind of production. We just want to, that's that's awesome right so we're yeah we try to be a little bit more subtle about that or or maybe all these things over time just start to blend into the new music it's maybe less uh less obvious than that first record but mm. yeah we're still we're still proud of that record for sure oh, um it's, it's gorgeous nice nice snapshot of where we were at that time and uh, obviously uh before the the next release came along and um also all the attention with m4 was it an intentional decision to go into a bit more of an electronic space or was that something you'd always been interested in and it just needed the band to find a way of doing that? Yeah, I don't know. We, you know, those M4 songs actually came out of, we, we were asked to do something from uh, Fava, the film and video what is it, art society or something a local thing uh we were asked to put some music to compose some music to some already released like short films for yeah. a show yeah. and so those those ideas and those themes kind of were built out of this instrumental show that we put on um around 2005 i think and so it just kind of where we were at that time i think we were trying to get a live set yeah that was a bit more electronic i guess he was getting into more drum machines at that point um but yeah, you know, we the band was never really, maybe except for the, that record, the band wasn't really writing songs together. It was almost like, um, we weren't writing as a band, I should say. We we wrote just music that we wanted to, and we figure out, as a band, we figure that out later. How, do you, how are we going to play this, right? Um, it's like that first record, we didn't play it until after we'd recorded it. And some of the songs we had to, you know, change up pretty drastically just to make them work live. But yep. it's kind of fun to reinvent things that way and just make the best recording you can at the time. That's kind of where we how we approached it. Except for M4, I guess we'd say I'd say we wrote that as a group more than anything. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And yep. um, so the relationship with Friendly Fire Records, how did that first come about for the band? We just got a call. I think was it somebody from our local college radio station, the CJSR. I think it sent uh, Dan from Friendly Fire had sent the record to him. So we, we originally put that record out in 2003, just on our own. Um, and yeah, played some shows around that time, but yeah, then he gave us a call and wanted to put that record out himself with or through Friendly Fire. So we actually remixed it, uh, a little bit, just kind of smoothed out some of the rough edges. Sure. Um, so we were happier, a little happier with it, but it's pretty much, it's the same record, but yeah. yeah and then he, he re-released re it, I guess you could say. Officially, we released that in 2005. But at that point, we were already kind of onto 
the next thing too, right? M4 was kind of yeah. well underway. Yeah. It, it must be tricky to um, you know, avoid that endless revisionism with uh, when an album's finished and um, yeah, then getting you know, getting the deal that makes you think, oh, maybe we should just put in a couple more yeah. here and there just to touch things up. We were, I think the way it worked with the original recording, I think we, we rented an office space for that, for a year to record that first record. And then our time was up, like our lease was up and we weren't going back. So we, we kind of rushed it a bit at the end. I think that was our, our concern, right? And so we, we really just wanted to get it right. And normally I'd never want to go back to something that's out already, you know, it's like, ah, it's done, uh, let's, let's move on. But that one we wanted to do, uh, yeah, we just gave it a once over. Um, with our, our friend Graham Lassard who helped us mix those next two records too. And so yeah. it was nice to get that out the way we wanted it for sure. And so that relationship with Friendly Fire has persisted. Um, the question I had was sort of around that time, a lot of um, artists were starting to question the relevance of record labels, um, especially in the internet age. Um, did, did you have any thoughts about that or you, you just felt like having someone in your corner was... Uh, that important what's uh, helped that relationship persevere yeah I think it was just good to have somebody connected in the states that we appreciated that and, and he just liked our music too so I think it's just one of those things um, especially nowadays right there's so much music out there and without without a label or without you know that that uh, extra push sometimes that could be it's harder to get get your stuff heard right yeah. and so I think that was our I think one of our main things is to kind of make it feel less like a local band. It's like, oh, you know, we signed to a New York label. And so, and it was, yeah, it was cool. And, and he had some, Dan had, and still has some great connections. And it was, uh, yeah, it just seemed to kind of make sense at the time. Yeah. Oh, good one. Um, and how important would you say that college radio or, you know, as we call it here in Australia, um, community radio, how important has that been, would you say, to your following, not just for, for fonts, but for your own music? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, I, I don't know. I actually really don't know. I don't know how people consume music. I, I kind of find it music on my own. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure it's been important. I know it's been uh, another avenue of just getting stuff heard for sure. Um, but I, 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 I ask myself a lot of times, how do people find music or like, where do people get their music from, you know? Like, and there's all sorts of places. I guess I'm just, I don't want to sound old, but, you know, it's just different. It's different than it used to be, right? You go to your record store and listen to a, find a listening station. It's like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, it's, uh, but for sure, I would say it's it's been helpful. It's been one, another piece of the puzzle of just getting it out there. But like you said, that video game connection was, was huge, right? And so um, we still hear, to this day, we hear people will message us and say, they, they found us through that song or th through that game, right? Yeah. And Steven's kids are playing that game and and finding it again. It's just kind of funny, but yeah. yeah who knows what? He's a, a massive gamer. Um, mm -hmm. so he's not that interested in um, getting into the studio here and having a jam with his um, boring old dad. But, you know, hearing right. that uh, someone he knew had done the music at the end of this game was, you know, he thought was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Shucks. Yeah. I'm, that's the thing, kids these days, whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and that way that you're know, saying about consuming music, um, 
yeah, I, I was trying to even think about how my uh, consumption of music has changed over the years. Um, certainly community radio used to be a huge part of it. Um, and even now, like I, I've got a, a favourite station, um, a college station in upstate New York, and mm -hmm. there's one show I, I stream a show every week just because okay, yeah. the yeah. the presenter's uh, music range is so eclectic that I'll hear something that I, w I wouldn't normally find in my normal listening uh, regime. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a strange time, isn't it? Um, sometimes the band camp connections or... Um, sure, yes, yeah. So many different um, competing sources of entertainment um, trying to... Um, you know, trying to get in there and get your stuff heard can be difficult. So with um, with those first sort of recordings, what were you favouring? What kind of instruments and what kind of equipment were you favouring at that point? Um, it hasn't changed too much. I mean, uh, yeah, like we always liked, yeah, I mean, I guess vintage sounds kind of corny, but I mean, we, we grew up our our folks had a Juno 106, yep. which we always liked. And that's kind of made it onto every record pretty much, you know, that just something uh, like the old synths, like we were talking earlier. Um, Steve's always been huge into the guitars or just effects or just, just something kind of wild going on, but you're not even sure how did that sound come about, right? And so I think, um, yeah, I still, I, I still would gravitate towards like vintage gear. There's a lot easier ways to get that these days, I guess. But like, if you have just uh even soft, you know, the software packs or since, but, um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm leaning into the nineties a little bit more, not trying, like not trying to be, not trying to be cool or anything, but just, again, it comes back to your childhood, you know, these, some certain things like, uh, just the pan flute and on the Korg M1 is just phenomenal. Like it's silly, but also amazing, you know? So I don't know. It's, I feel like there's no, there's no rules. Um, yeah. And so, they're, they're, like, there. I feel like maybe twenty years ago, there were more. We still, we always liked what we liked, but I feel like you can do anything now. I yeah. don't know if that makes sense. Um, if the music's good, yeah, I think you've got like a point. We, uh, that it, it seems like there was almost a, um, a demarcation around what that decade should sound like, or what sure yep. should sound like. And I always found that frustrating because I just wanted to do everything. Um, mm -hmm try a bit of everything um but it can make you a bit of an outlier as far as like where do you fit in that's some, yeah uh, marketing schedule <laughs> so. where, where is your scene yeah what's the scene where do you who do you connect with yeah, yeah. but i mean ultimately that doesn't matter to me it, it never really has mattered too much you know we always just did what we wanted yeah. um so yeah i hope like luckily people connected with it at some point uh but and yeah that's all we hope for right but I think ultimately that's what, yeah, not to just do what you want, really. You know, that's what I tell anybody. What do you like? Just do what you like. I have no idea. I'm always baffled by why people like certain things too. It's like, but I don't, I'm not on the internet saying this sucks, you know, like, uh, it's like, but it's like, I don't understand, but like people connect to things in different ways. Just do what you connect with. Right. I think that's, that's key. But I, I might've mentioned yeah. on the podcast before, but, um, I loved the band Life Without Buildings um, for, a, mm. for a Scottish band and heavily improvised. Um, and that, like they hadn't released anything for 
you know, 20 years or um, something similar like that. And um, somehow on TikTok, all these teenage girls started miming to the beginning of one of the, the tracks. And right. So Life Without Buildings, this indie band from Scotland, um, are suddenly more famous than they'd ever been when they were actually performing. And right, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that does my head in. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that. It's like, you know, good stuff is just going to get heard or liked by some people. I think that's that's really cool that, it, you know, some stuff is given, has been given another chance. I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so describe um, the, that first uh, year of recording in an office space. Give us a little bit of mm-hmm. a picture of like what that was that setup was like, and uh, were you digital at that point, or were you tape? Uh, we were um, no, it was we were we rented the space with a friend um, Terry Paholik, a local local guy. I think I think he's still recording here. Um, so he had a board and he had the computer. Mm-hmm. We brought our instruments, and he actually uh, yeah, it was like a, a main one main room, and then a couple. Uh, side rooms that he kind of he actually smashed a uh, a hole in the window to make a what's the you know the a hole in the wall sorry to make a the window so you can see the yep. like control room kind of thing anyway he got in trouble I think for doing that but yeah so that's it we were just there in the evenings always right so we worked day jobs and mm. um yeah we were there at night but it was yeah it was great we were there all the time um just any idea we had we just get down on you know as cheaply or scrappily as we could and so um yeah it wasn't there was not really any good quality to it but um it was kind of a magical time i guess right again we were just getting into a whole bunch of new new music and i mean we'd make cassettes for like the ride home you know kind of thing like just just a different it's a different it was a different world at that point but um yeah it was exciting just to keep you know you get you write down your ideas at work while you're at your record store job you're writing ideas for what to work on that night or something so we were there uh all the time for that that first record so yeah learning as we went it was a lot of fun and speaking of learning like um you've obviously got your own music projects happening now um how much of a hand did you have in like the editing and mixing of the early font stuff we uh yeah we always we tried to mix it as much as we could on our own yep um you can probably tell a little bit again we had our our, our pal graham lassard work on those first records with us because mm. he just was he went to school for that and and he's just he's a real uh artist in that regard too so it's nice to have him on board for that you know to, to surround yourself with people who can who can do that properly right um kind of know your limitations i guess too right so we can we could set up a mic and hit record but to mix it properly we we want to be there we have an idea as to how we wanted the end result to to be but it's nice to have somebody who knows how to eq things properly or yeah you yep. use a compressor or something so yeah and was there much um outboard analog gear on that album or is it um a lot in post it's mostly in the box so that stuff yeah. yeah i don't remember much at all yeah Mm. yeah um and so for your um most recent project duplicita is that the right way to say it how do we say it yeah duplicita yeah it's a terrible name I, it's one of those like why did i pick that name can't remember it can't spell it can't say it um anyway good luck in it up there so yes duplicita that's it yeah uh so give us a little bit of an idea of how that came about and and what's your process with writing now 
Yeah, so um, it's like Fawns is kind of, we just take it, we slow down a lot for sure, right? Uh, uh, around maybe after feel of thinking of, we kind of just, we were touring a little bit more often then and we just kind of took, we slowed things down a bit. And so we all just kind of started doing our own, our own projects a little bit, I guess. So that was how, how it started. We just kind of, I'd have like with fonts, you know, Steve was our main songwriter, but yeah. every now and then we'd all contribute a track or two that we just kind of worked through together. And so, yeah, it was just a, it was an outlet for me just to get my, my songs out there. Um, and, and just do them exactly how I wanted to. Not that, I, not that I didn't with fonts, but, um, I was always a little bit sillier production wise, I guess, than, than fonts, right? Fonts is a bit more, maybe a bit more serious or something, but uh, I always, I always like the music wasn't, a, it wasn't a joke, but, um, yeah, it was just a little goofier. I always find, I find maybe a lighter pop side than I guess would be normal in fonts. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, but yeah, I think recently I found, I mean, I don't know why it took so long. I start to find, I find that I work better with people, right? So like with thoughts, I'd work really well with, I still do. I feel like I work well with my brother, Steven, uh, and everyone else too. But like, I work well with a, a songwriter and help try to uh, get those songs kind of finished. And, and I feel like I can add something in a production end of it too. And so, um, yeah, with the new project here, uh, my buddy, Paul Fuelbrandt goes by PF1 has uh like an electronic project and so we've been we've been friends for like 20 years too mm. but uh we just decided to try to write something together um and so yeah it was it was strange but also like really fun to work with him because um like i feel like i'm good at writing a, a bridge to a song and that's about all i can do or like a, a hook for a chorus yeah. but i can't write songs honestly uh i don't well you know like verse chorus kind of thing i can't do that for some reason but so I'd come with I come with a couple ideas to Paul and um, he'd say no let's make this into a song and he would just like I'd, we'd get uh, my drum machine on a loop or something and he would just start just wailing you know on uh, vocals like he's just such a great singer and 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 really his uh, his strengths are almost the opposite of mine which is really cool just to work with somebody who's that confident and that um, that good at what he does in just different ways than me so. Yeah, the new project was kind of really built, yeah, from scratch. Just some ideas we got together, and uh, I'm actually sitting in the studio we we built. It's in our garage here, which is really cool. Uh, we're, we're neighbors, actually, so we we share a duplex, and so we built our studio here in half the garage. And so we just kind of came out here every week, and we just record whatever we could think of. Yeah, so those songs came really quick, but yeah, we're excited to do some more. So that's how the new album kind of came about. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of your studio, um, uh, listeners, I've got the privilege of seeing a little bit of it uh, via Zoom here. Um, do you want to take us through some of the gear that you've got well, here that gets regular use? Sure. Um, it's funny, I stepped behind me, I guess, a couple guitar amps. Yep. Um, this whole, this last record, all the guitars were I plugged in direct. I had my pedals, but just direct, so, you know. You do whatever works for you, I guess. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've borrowed my friend Jordan's Fender Champ mm -hmm. for you know a nice little tube amp. I got a geez, is it a jazz course uh, sixty oh, yeah. behind me? Classic. I have a homemade bass homemade bass amp here. It's actually a Sure Vocal Master PA on top of uh, just some big cabinet. So yeah, I don't record bass through that thing, but we just play for fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, but like beside me, I got a, a 
couple of drum kits and uh, CP70, some like some rack stuff in front of me, Juno 106 and a Corey M1 and a Roland, sorry, Yamaha DX7. So like, again, some older DX7. stuff, but wow. Love the DX7, yeah, it's uh, the, the bat, uh, the memory battery in mine kept dying, even though oh, I, yeah. I put in a the patch for putting it in directly, uh, and um, yeah, after a while it was just too frustrating and I sold it, but um, oh, it's too bad, yeah, yeah, like so, well, it was so chaotic, the sounds you could get just because there, there wasn't any limitation on the algorithm, it's pretty together, yeah, I don't know how to program that thing, but even just some of the presets are a few that I just go to constantly, yeah, it's uh. Yeah. Like I say, these things are in my soul from as being a kid watching commercials or something. I don't know. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's it's a really awesome space we have. You know, um, pretty lucky to have this. You know, you can make noise. It's pretty well insulated, so make noise till all hours. And mm. I mean, you got a studio set up yourself there too, right? Is that in your in your house? It is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I won't go through the whole story, but a lot of listeners will know. A few years back, I. Um, couple of family members had serious health issues and that meant that um, rather than uh, opening a venue with a studio, um, yeah, I really just had to focus on the family for a little bit. So mm-hmm. that first lockdown summer of COVID, um, I transformed the, the garage I've got here into a studio space. Um, it was a good way to keep busy. Um, but similar setup, it's... Um, room within a room so it's it's pretty much soundproofed um yeah the, the neighbors have only complained about the drums once in the time that it okay it's <laughs> not too it's good yeah that's well, a way to do it if you can set up at home there's uh yeah you can do anything yeah, yeah. um now a mutual friend of ours uh from way back um fee mac who was djing um at a local station around the time that I first toured um, over in Canada, which would have been 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, she described uh, the Fonts shows as glorious. Um, how how does Duplicator um, perform on stage now? How is that experience different? Um, well, with, like say compared to Fonts, Fonts, we, we, there was a, a certain style where we could build that uh, glory. We'd use the term glory as well. You know, uh, you know, big, you know, crescendo, take it down, then a huge over the top ending sort of thing. So, um, yeah, with Duplicator Live, we just played a show last week. Um, it's a different setup. Like, I mean, with Duplicator, I used to actually have, I like, always like the idea of getting as many people as you can in in a band. So I had like thirteen or fourteen. I think we had up to seventeen people on stage at one point, and I like split the drum kit into like four people. You get it you get a two floor toms and that's it, or, you know what I mean? And, and but just to try to coordinate all that. Are you in competition with the polyphonic spree? Yeah, I wasn't meaning to, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of just like, it's like nonsense, but just wild. I like, yeah. I just want to play with all my friends. So anyone I would just run into like, Hey, you, you play something, don't you? Like, come on, play a, a shaker or a floor tom or something and join us. So like we had so many people back, that was like almost 10 years ago. So for this new setup, we kind of whittled it down just to like six people. So the the live setup is pretty straightforward, I guess. I'm still not a small band, but yeah. And, and these songs are also a bit more um, just kind of like pop songs, right? So verse, chorus, pretty straightforward. Um, we try to dial in the glory when we can, just in different ways. But uh, yeah, yeah. Trying to make a, an interesting live show is always 
it's tough. I don't know. You know, it's always so different than than a recording. I find right. Yeah. Because, like I said, as a band, we've never recorded like we never rehearsed as a band to like get the songs down, go to the studio to record them, just like that, right? Mm. We would just um, the studio was like a a place to experiment, and so to play the songs live. Even in this case too, we we you kind of figure it out. We've always figured it out after the fact how to play the songs live. So these ones I thought were pretty pretty easy to translate live didn't take too much rethinking i guess but yeah it's always a fun challenge and i always ask guests um what has been your most desperate moment of innovation that could be in the studio it could be at a live show something going right something going wrong um anything comes Hmm. to mind innovation good question I, i yeah again because live has always been a we don't play that often. Haven't never played that much. Like, I always want to, you know, try to leave the innovation. Sounds bad to leave it out of the or out of the plan. You know, I want to make sure everything's ready to go and there's nothing to to have to work out. I mean, I think we we played with Caribou one time. This is a long time ago too, but we were running tracks. I think a couple of tracks, and I think was it our laptop stopped working, and I think we had to. Play it off uh, Stephen's iPhone. Some of these tracks or something. Um, so that was kind of a just hope you get through the show kind of thing, you know, like just kind of not a fun type of innovation, but you just kind of make it work. So um, I'm not sure that's not a very good story. Uh, yeah. Well, playing something off a phone um, can be good and bad. I, I um I used to do sound for a community festival, um, one of the housing estates here, and um. Uh, all of the performers would sort of come off the estate and they would just jump up and say, can we play? And um, so we had a young mm-hmm. person jump up and they said, oh, okay, I've got this beat on my phone. Can you play it from my phone? And so they they start doing their song. They're halfway through their song. The phone rings. Stops the beat. <laughs> of course. They walk yeah. over and take their phone. They don't stop the phone call. They just walk off the stage with their phone and keep the conversation going. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. Priorities, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that must have been a very important person calling. Wow. Um so you're like twenty odd years into producing and and writing. Do do you think there are things that you've learned over that time that stick with you now? Hmm. Yeah. I mean I feel like I'm better at recording or mixing but not i'm still not not great i mean um like i said i think hiding some of those not hiding your influences are will always be there right and so um going to those catalogs in your brain and and uh figuring out what what a song needs i think that's always you know the most important thing is what is the song what's best for the song right and so Mm. um and i think we've we've always been like that really i mean it's We've luckily I've been lucky to work with people who've never really had ego or been like I need to get my guitar part on this track. You know, it's like what's best for the for the song, and so I think we're still yeah. we're still always making music with that in mind, right? What's the best song I can make? And so, like I say, when I work with a guy like um, my buddy Paul, PF One, it's like he's a better singer than me, and so I want to get a good vocal taken on this, and we're gonna make. I feel like I'm just going to make better music with people in some, in some way. So I feel like that's, that's another thing to still know my limitations. Right. So like when we started, 
on like a four track cassette recorder. It's like, oh, I can do anything. I can play all these parts. I can do everything. But it's like, no, nah, I can't. I can do everything. But you know, some people there. You know, some people can do things really well. So yeah, to kind of rely on those people or to make those connections, I think, is really has been good to make better music. I think so. Mm. Yeah, you have to be a certain kind of person to. Um, move beyond your own ego to let that creative space happen with other people. Um, but when, when you do, I feel like that's the space that you can make some of the best music. Um, when you're all working together, you all feel safe in just testing out mm-hmm. whatever you want. Um, yeah, and, and I certainly you know, work with musicians that can you know, play a lot of things better than I can. Um, I'm just hopefully I'm lucky enough to just be in that that songwriter space um, that all of those things can move around me. So um, yeah, I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about um, upcoming works for Duplicator or any other? Uh, do you have other projects on the go? Have you got sneaky side projects happening as well? Or? Not really. I mean, I'm playing with um, just playing a bass guitar for a friend in his band, Aaron Parker. Uh, but like, I, I'm not really contributing to him in the recording sense. So yeah, I mean, more du- duplicated recordings are, you know, I have other ideas as far as where I want to, what I want to do next. Paul and I are still work on some new stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe work on some, like some ambient music. I'd always wanted to, I just, something about, you know, ambient music. I've always wanted to, uh, take a stab at so approach that but yeah again i have those what's the next thing gonna be um i don't know i just want to keep i can't want to keep working i guess is the idea yeah but um yeah sorry not a good answer but <laughs> i mean when i when i first had kids i was so tired and i took i took a break for from making music for a couple of years, just two years, I just didn't have the desire to make music and was not a bad thing, just needed a bit of space. But mm. I feel like I just want to keep making music now. So I'm not sure about you, but I don't feel like there's like a, I don't feel like there's a shortage of ideas ever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like there's always, something always will be coming out there. So, yeah. Yeah, I've had people ask, uh, what are you going to do when you retire? And I was like, well, uh, no. I'd never, <laughs> and like the, the ideas don't stop. Like it's not like a, yeah. a day job. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it always brings me joy. I'm always inspired to try and find something new or it, with, you know, whether that's musically or lyrically to find a different mm-hmm. angle on, on something. Um, yeah. So I hear you. There's, um, when people talk, yeah, that, we'll do it. I, I wonder like what, what is their experience of music? Yeah, I'll stop doing things I don't want to do, but I always want to do music. Yeah, I'll retire from my day job, which is fine. But yeah, um, music's one of those things that'll always be yeah part of what we do, and it'll look different in the next twenty years, sure. But yeah, um, yeah. and um, just quickly, how do you uh, see the Canadian scene at the moment? I know that um, between. Uh, once again, different forms and platforms for entertainment coming through and um, certainly COVID Australia saw a a large downturn in live music, Um, Mm -hmm. still really trying to um, find its way back. Um, How do you think 
um, Canada's going with that? Does, does having that proximity to the states keep things alive a bit more? Or? You know, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a good person to ask. Like, I feel kind of disconnected from the live scene lately. Um, but I, I, I get a sense that it's kind of still just moving along, you know. I mean, people figured it out during COVID, you kind of figured out different ways of doing things. And um, even now, I feel, I mean, Edmonton, we're in a, we're pretty kind of isolated too. We're not near the major centers, you know, like Vancouver, or Montreal, Toronto. Uh, so not that close to the States. So I feel like we're kind of, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like things are not that different than they used to be. And music just keeps, people keep making music and keep making it work. So, mm. um, but again, maybe I have no, I maybe have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Tim, what can you um, plug for us today? Can we find your music today? And um, what's the best way to support Duplicator? Mm. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, just listening, uh, like uh, Bandcamp, you know, duplicated uh, Bandcamp would be would be great. But or even just just give it a listen if you're interested. I think would be really cool. Um, yeah, I'm not really selling anything. Just want people to listen to it at this point, right? Get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And more shows in the future. Um, nothing booked right now, but we'll keep it posted. Yeah. And we'll put a probably in the new year a little bit. Yeah, we'll put links in the episode description. Mm. Um, well, Tim, thanks so much for making time. I know that it's getting late over there in Edmonton. Um, so I really appreciate you making the time to have a chat today. And um, yeah, good luck with all the new music endeavors. Um, and as we always sign off. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, there is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you are doing. Thanks, Tim. Thank you very much. Q playback.